church had sort of um, uh, laid out that weren't really according to the gospel that Luther found in the scriptures. And it was like this archaeologist had dug up this lost treasure and he couldn't help and he put it up to the light and he saw how beautiful it was. He saw how um, life transforming it was and he began to tell more and more people about it. And this is the same gospel that you and I are discovering and reading and learning about today. See, our Father, God in heaven, will not allow the Son of God, the good news of the gospel, to be buried for long. He always bubbles back up. And what's really interesting about Martin Luther in church history, as he discovers the gospel, is he didn't always start off as a man who loved God. In fact, he started off hating God. He wanted nothing to do with God. Why? Because he thought God hated him. He thought God wanted nothing to do with him. Um, because Martin Luther, as he grew up in the church, as he heard the teachings of the church, he tried his very hardest. He kept trying and trying and trying to be the very best Christian uh, that he could be, but he realized that he could never measure up. He just couldn't do all the things that were put on him. He could never measure up to all that he thought God wanted of him. And so he thought that God looked down on him as he tried and yet failed to do all that God asked of him. And he thought that God looked at him and said, this guy's a failure. This guy doesn't get it. This guy keeps failing and failing and failing. Martin Luther looked up at the glorious law of God and then he looked down in comparison to his life, and he thought, I'm a disappointment to God. That's what he thought. And so Luther tried harder and harder and harder. Does that sound familiar? Anyone else get ever stuck in that trap? I know I do. So Luther, he fasted and he prayed, and he did all the things that he thought would be right and might be honoring, hoping every day that he might be able to change the mind of God against him, against his record. Now, Luther, he knew about grace. He'd read about it in the Bible. He saw those words in the Bible. But he thought grace was like um, a relay race. He thought uh, grace was a little bit like, you know, God ran... Uh, the majority of the time, but then he passed the baton off to Luther, and then Luther had to pick up the rest and get the, and get the rest of the distance. Uh, or he thought it was like, um, in financial terms, like a matching grant. Well, go, see, I've done this much, and now you also have to uh, put in your effort, and then you can make up the rest. And Luther, upon examining his life, upon looking at his life as he grew up in the church, as he grew up hearing all of these things, realized that he wouldn't qualify for this grant, realized that he couldn't run the rest of the leg of the race because he just simply didn't have it. He couldn't do what God was asking him to do. Um, and he began to hate God because he's like, this God is impossible to please. He's impossible to please. Now there's nothing more unchristian than a Christianity that makes us hate Christ. There's nothing more unchristian, church, than a Christianity that makes us begin to hate Christ. But unfortunately, it is very common. 
It's very common. We may not put it in that blunt of terms, but there's some places maybe in our hearts that we've um, stored up that are against him, that we're angry with God. God, I could never do that. God, I, why are you asking this of that, of me of that? But I think this morning, we need to just admit that to ourselves, maybe to each other, maybe to God. Because the reality of the gospel, as we're gonna see even in Galatians, is that uh, God even loves angry people who think that God hates them. But the reality is, is that God loves them in all the ways that we think that he shouldn't. That's the surprise of the gospel. And here's the insight that really helped Luther 500 years ago. See, he, he began to learn through the gospel that God never lowers his standards. God doesn't cut corners and just decide, oh, you know what? I know they can't do it, but I'll, just, I'll look past it all. God doesn't lower his standards. He doesn't cut corners. He always honors his own conscience. God is so perfect that he found a way to receive to himself sinners, yet simultaneously enforce his holy righteous standard. God found a way to be utterly against our sins while being completely for you and I. And that is the great surprise of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, at the cross, God punished our sins fully and finally in Jesus Christ. He was our willing substitute. He was our pierced king. The hammer fell on sin and it fell hard. But it did not fall on you and I did not fall on you and I. And now all we have to do as believers in this good news is we receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ through faith alone. And, uh, and we can begin to stop hating God uh, when God doesn't come through for our silly plans or our ways to find our way back to him, but we start rejoicing and we start running after and we start worshiping in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the joy that Luther found 500 years ago. And that's the joy that you and I found find as sons and daughters of God through Jesus and when that freedom starts to land on our hearts, that freedom, Galatians is gonna use that word a lot, freedom, um, that we're free in Christ, that we're not constrained by our own failures, but in Christ we have all. When Luther, when that reality of that good news uh, rested on and landed on Luther, he wrote this. Um, he said, I felt myself to have gone through open doors into paradise. Into paradise. He thought, God has opened a door for me to enter into paradise. Freedom, joy. And it's all discovered, it's all found, it's all wrapped up in that which is given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Luther says this about Paul's letter that we're gonna be reading this semester about Galatians, he said, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle, Luther said, to which I have wedded myself. He said, I, I, I can relate to this. 
I understand this. Galatians, uh, many theologians have coined it, is like uh, the Magna Carta to the Christian church. It's where we receive all of our freedoms in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we understand them, where we rest in them. But Galatians is uh, the battle cry of the Christian church. Galatians is the charter of spiritual freedom in Christ, so to speak. Uh, Galatians is the declaration of Christian independence, it's been said. Freedom in Christ and the gospel. That's what Galatians is all about. It's this wonderful letter. It's this life-giving letter about an open door that God himself opens to a God-approved paradise, as Luther put it, for people with a past that disqualifies us and a present that can never reach him on our own. That's what Galatians is all about which is good news because that's every one of us. Um, Galatians is about how to find freedom. We're gonna see that word a lot from specifically this one. This is hard, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Freedom from self-righteousness and find freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Luther rediscovered it 500 years ago and it changed him profoundly. And it changes you and I even here today. So our passage is just, is Paul's greeting. It's not complicated. It's not mysterious, uh, but it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's amazing. Um, and a few things stand out that I just want to, I want to look at this morning and we'll be finished. Uh, the first thing that we notice in this introductory, in this introduction to this letter to this church is that Jesus is still with us. Look at this, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So a couple of things. When Jesus returned to the Father, he did not abandon us. He did not just sort of leave us on our own. He did not leave us to sort of figure this all out. He kept working with us. He kept pressing into us. He kept uh, being ever-present with us. For example, he raised up the apostles to carry the torch of the gospel to the next generation, Paul being one of them. God raised him up through the risen Lord Jesus Christ and gave Paul the message of the gospel that would go to the Gentiles. And the only way that Paul could account for how he had been changed, how he had went from a murderer to a, an apostle was through the risen Lord Jesus Christ did a work in his life. Not of men, not through men, but through Christ. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is still moving. Jesus is still raising up men and women of faith to carry the torch of the good news of the gospel. Though we are not apostles like uh, the apostles and the apostle Paul were, God is still on the move in raising up men and women of faith to carry the torch of the good news of the gospel to the next generation. And that's not a work of men. That's not a work of just, um, oh, we better figure out something to do. That's the work and movement of God through history. And in every generation, God keeps doing this so that his fire burns brightly into the future until one day he comes again. And he will continue to do that. 
Um, and so I personally, as I, as I was reading this, the Lord just impressed upon me that uh, I want to be a church that's a part of that. I want to be a church that's a part of a people that's being called up to carry the torch of the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ to the next generation. That is an important call. And that's not a call that's given to us by men. That's one that's only given by God himself. And only God can do that. I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be a part of that work. And so God is, is moving today. God is calling even you, Christian, not to just sit and listen, but he's calling you to the very purposes of God through Christ, and he wants to stir up our generation to be ambassadors for Christ, to lift up the torch of the good news of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ to one another and to the generation to come. That's what he's charged us with. Paul felt that. And it fired him up. He oriented his entire life around that calling. Now, what's, what's more striking is look at the sharp clarity in Paul's thinking. And we're going to see this in this letter. He says, not from men nor through men, but through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He has this, not this, but that. This is called um, antithetical thinking. It's... Um, it's, 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 he's going he's gonna to say this a lot in, the, in this letter to us and to this church of it's, it's not like this, but it's like that. Uh, I get an example of that about once a week. I drive, uh, I have four kids, so I drive a, a large school bus called the Ford Excursion, which I really, really love. It's, it's a monster, and it's uh, really loud. My neighbors hate it. It's got the classic 7.3 power stroke diesel. Anyone familiar with that? No one. Perfect. Cool. We'll talk later about that. It's really a marvelous engine. Diesel. It's old. It never stops. But on this, if you ever have driven a diesel, uh, every time you open up the fuel tank, and I have to correct my wife because she's often like, do we need gas? No, we don't need gas. We need... Thank you. Okay, good. If you put gasoline in a diesel engine, it's game over for that engine. That wonderful, beautiful, loud... Uh, non-emissions driven 7.3. It'll just ruin the whole thing and it'll be a tragedy in the making. Um, but on there it says this, but not that. Gas, but, or diesel, not gas, right? Don't get that wrong. <laughs> this, but not this. Not this, but that. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is what he's doing. He's, he's showing a clarity of his thoughts. He's, he's going to show us the gospel in clarity because if you believe it to be this way, then and if you put this in, it's, it's all wrong. It's going to mess up the whole thing. And so in Galatians, he's, he's sort of going to begin uncovering error in the church. He's going to start saying this more and more and more. Uh, you're, you're believing this but not believing the gospel. And it's causing you to think about God all wrong. And he's saying here at this very introduction that this that I'm about to give you is from God, not man. This is from God, not man. You can trust this. You can believe this. See, the gospel begins to teach us and helps us to think clearly both what the gospel is and what it isn't. Those are equally as important. 
And Paul is going to begin to drill this into us. Romans tells us what the gospel is. That's almost what the whole letter is all about. Galatians, he's going to tell us what the gospel isn't and what it is. Because this church had fallen into some error. And it's this exposure of error that you and I can fall into so easily if we're not careful. And Paul is going to call it out. He's going to call out the error. But he doesn't leave us in error. He doesn't leave us in our errant ways. He's going to point us to that which is. Professor at Fuller Seminary, New Testament professor, uh, says this about verse 1 in Galatians. Uh, The negative word does not set the tone for this letter. It is rather an exposure of error in order to portray the truth. Sometimes we need to see the error in order order to understand the truth of the matter. Otherwise, it's hard for us to discern. And so what we want to be as a church is a church that is crystal clear about who Jesus is and also who he's not. All right, the second wonderful thing we see about this introduction is that Christianity is always, always, always a miracle of God's continual grace. Real Christianity, gospel Christianity, um, is not occasionally miraculous, believe it or not. You're like, oh man, is he getting charismatic here? Where, where are we going here? Maybe, I don't know, Right? But here's what I mean. I'm not talking about just external signs and wonders. I'm saying Christianity, gospel-centered Christianity, is always, always, always miraculous because the gospel keeps advancing. It keeps winning. The church and the kingdom of God keeps going forth despite everything that is against it, despite our sin. God keeps moving. The gospel keeps advancing. God's people keep gathering. New churches keep being planted. In fact, new churches keep being planted in places where they say, if you plant another one, your life is at jeopardy. And they say, to the glory of God, let's go. He is worthy. Christianity is always miraculous. I mean, think about it. God is always advancing his purposes continually through broken, fallible, failed people like Martin Luther 500 years ago and you and I today. Um, Paul became an apostle, not because he appointed himself, but because Jesus did that for him. Jesus is advancing his purposes through the Apostle Paul, and he wants to advance his purposes even through you and I in this generation. He continues on, through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. So God is, uh, uh, when God is looking for who to use, when God is trying to figure out how this is going to work, when God is trying to say, how is the miraculous good news of the advancing movement of the kingdom of God in this world today going to take shape and take root, it is not going to happen through fads or trends or cool things or relevance. It's not going to happen through influencers. It's not going to happen through powerful people. It's not going to happen uh, if you just amass enough money and you can make it work. It's not going to happen if you have the right marketing strategies. 
God is creating miracles called Christians through whom he fulfills his purposes. That's incredible. That means you and I get to be part of that. That means you and I are set out on that same mission. Uh, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I am who I am by the grace of God. Um, I kind of read that like this. He just says, I, I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this has all happened. I don't know how God did this. I don't know why God chose me to do this. I don't know how I got here because it wasn't my plan. It wasn't where I was headed and it wasn't what I thought about. He said, but praise God, he did it. And I am who I am by the grace of God. I didn't deserve it, but I'm here and it's crazy and it's wonderful. Christianity is a miracle of God's grace. God is not in the business of improving good people. Uh, God is in the business of delivering bad people. That's why it's really good news. Uh, that takes us to our second point. Um, if you're listening on a live stream or you're here this morning, if you think you're a Christian because of your goodness, Galatians in the Bible is going to say uh, you are not a Christian at all according to the gospel. Um, we are believers, we are Christians by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Paul is gonna teach us that over and over and over again. Second major point here this morning is verses three through four is Jesus died to create a whole new community. A whole new community. <clears throat> Excuse me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. There's so much in there. You could preach another hour just about that statement right there. But a few things come to mind when I read that. A few things just sort of bristled up when I read uh, those two verses First of all, uh, what about this present age is evil? What's Paul talking about? Why is he bringing this up? That's a strong word, evil, right? What's, what's, what about this era, what about this time period is evil in our time period in history? Well, what we're gonna discover in Galatians as Paul begins to uncover this is catch this. This is, this is very surprising. Uh, the evil thing about our world, according to Galatians, the most evil thing about this world is its righteousness. We're gonna begin to discover as we read this. Um, I heard it put this way. A broken-hearted sinner clinging to Jesus is closer to God than the most upright, solid citizen who does so much good that he's got no reason to need Christ. What's evil about this world, according to Galatians, is a word that we're gonna be confronted with, which is false righteousness. And here in the Bible Belt, uh, we are full of that. We have it at every corner. We have it in our own hearts. I have it in my heart. And God wants to rid us of that through the gospel. 
Luther wrote this. In fact, Ashley, will you hand me that book right there? I meant to bring that. Um, Luther, I'm stealing most of these thoughts from Martin Luther. He wrote this wonderful uh, commentary. It's uh, edited by McGrath and J.I. Packer. Really recommended as we're going through the series. If you are in a group or you're an individual, uh, Crossway put this out. It's the Crossway Classic Commentary. It's the Martin Luther series uh, on Galatians. And it's, and it's wonderful. So I recommend that you pick that up if you um, want to follow along with us in these sermons. But Ruth Luther, he, he kind of gives us these insights as he's uh, walking through this. But he wrote this about himself in this commentary. He said, I was not like other people. We need to stop there and say, man, how many times have I said that? Oh, I'm not like those people. He said, I was not like other people. He said, I practiced poverty, chastity, and obedience. And catch this. This is like, whoa. Satan loves such saints. Wow. I mean, in other words, he's saying, I was doing all the things I should do. I was doing all the right things, but I had no room for Christ because I thought I could earn it on my own. But on the contrary, if you have sinned your way all the way down so low that all you can do is cling to Jesus, then he's with you. His grace is for you. And he will show up in that place. This is not the Christianity that so many of us expect in our entertainment-driven, self-help-driven, um, self-righteous culture that says we just need a few tips and tricks and I'll be on my way, thank you very much. And I'll give you a tip at the door if it's really, really good. We live and breathe in that, 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 that cultural moment. That's sort of where we're sort of ebbing and flowing. And as I've been sort of reflecting on Galatians, I've been reflecting on Paul's uh, strong words against self-righteousness and his powerful words about having us look upon the goodness of the gospel, I begin to be, understand why the Lord has uh, called us to be part of being stewards of this good news of the gospel. And it is not to preserve some form of Christianity that we think is just good and helpful, that our kids may grow up to be in uh, really nice environments and make good friends. It's not to preserve something that hearkened back long ago that we just want to like make sure we don't lose. It's to rediscover stuff like this that Luther rediscovered and thought, oh my goodness, I had it all wrong. I want to be a people in a church that delve into and rediscover the goodness and the freeing goodness of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in spite of my sin, God still shows up and loves me through the finished work of him on the cross. And I don't need to earn it and I don't need to fight my way to get it. He has done it all. And the beauty of it is that God isn't just out to save just us as individuals. A lot of times we feel like that, especially now when so many of us are just like at home watching church and we kind of feel isolated or you're just like maybe in your chair. You're like, well, I don't know what that means. But he's, he's saving us all collect. He's saving us into a community, into a family. That we would be this renewed people of God, doing it by the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Luther also comments 
about the Apostle Paul's greetings um, when he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the Apostle's greeting is strange to the world and it was never heard of before the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? We're, we're kind of used to it if you've grown up in the church or you've read the scriptures yourself, especially the New Testament, Paul's letters. He uses that all the time, grace and peace, grace and peace to you. Uh, it just seems familiar to us. Luther reminds us that that was nowhere to be found before the gospel. Grace and peace. Why does Paul begin his letter with grace and peace? Because he wants to, at the very outset, to remind us that Jesus gave himself for our sins. At the cross, Jesus offered himself in our place. He atoned for our sins. His blood did not pay for 99% of it, and then we've got to close the gap with something on our own. Jesus says it is finished. And at the cross, in all of its finality, it was not our strategy. It was not our idea. We did not add to it. Paul says it was according to the will of, our, of God, our Father. Jesus didn't die to make God love us. Jesus died because God loved us. And therefore, because of that reality, we have grace, uh, which Luther describes as uh, forgiveness, of sin, free from the penalty of sin, we're given grace instead, and peace, um, that we are now freed from our crushing guilt from our sin. So he begins his letter by saying, he, Luther describes them as the two monsters in our lives, sin and guilt, and they just feed each other. And, and, and Luther says, Paul starts his letter and he says, Jesus has come and he slayed those two giant monsters and you no longer have to live crushed by sin because you've been freed by the Lord Jesus Christ and you no longer have to be crushed by guilt because he's given you peace. Isn't that wonderful? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. So what proves that we've really been delivered from this present evil age I believe is that we show it by our freedom in our hearts to um, stop blame shifting kind of everything around, to stop living in denial of who we really are, and like Luther, admit our sins, but yet rejoice in our Savior. Uh, it means this, uh, we're a mess, but we're his mess, and I'm good with that because he's risen. Uh, and I, I think what's, what's really evil about this present evil age is that no one says that anymore. No one says, I'm a sinner. No one says, I'm wrong. No one's ever wrong. Like, it's so rare to ever hear anyone say they're wrong. You just kind of, sit in your position and you just don't ever change. Everyone in our world today is so righteous 
Everyone in our world today is so, thinks they're so right. We're righteous in our politics. We're self-righteous in our sexuality. We're self-righteous in everything that, every little thing that we have a, a, a belief in. And no one ever can admit or say, I don't know, I was wrong. It's always someone else's fault. Someone else has always got it wrong and we're gonna talk about all the ways that they're wrong and we're just gonna fight each other and we're never gonna admit any failure or any wrong. I think what would be just like a wonderful breath of fresh air to the world around us is the fact that in the gospel, we as Christians can say, ah, man, I'm a mess and I'm wrong like all the time and I'm marred by sin and failure and I don't deserve any of these things that the Lord Jesus says that I get, but by his grace, I get them. And I don't know why or how, or I don't know why he's chosen me and why he saved me, but all glory goes to him because I'm wrong, like, most of the time without him. In fact, I keep having to go back to this book to figure out all the ways I'm wrong and all the ways that I can uh, see him more clearly. We're the only people as Christians that can risk that. Because we're okay. Because he saved us by grace alone, not by our own doing. So that no one can boast. And so that's what we want to be as a church. And even we're launching these new groups. We've made them a little bit smaller because we're living in a new world and reality right now. And so we're trying to pare them down and make them uh, more Bible-centered, more discipleship-centered than just like really big, like, Really, they were, I don't know, they were just too big in general, and the pandemic gave us a really easy opportunity to blow them up and try them again a little bit smaller so we can get more intentional and deeper. But we want to be a people that get in these groups where we can just grow and we can admit that, man, I just need Jesus. I just need more of him, and um, I can admit where I've, I've sinned and failed, and I can have brothers and sisters pray for me and spur me on toward uh, all that he is for me. And we can just grow together there. That's what we're wanting to happen in those. They're not the next cool thing. That's why we didn't give them a cool name. They're just groups. I'm like, we're like, what do you want to call them? I don't know, groups. They're just groups of people. Yeah, that works. So we just want to be in groups of people and redeem that time so that we might see Jesus more clearly. Last thing, verse five. I'm going too long. Took a page from Michael last week. Um, Paul ends this way. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this. Uh, Paul introduces this letter. He's going to correct some errors uh, coming up. But in this introduction, we can't find a single thing he asks us to do. There's not a command. There's not an order. There's not a do this. There's not a you got to do this in order to get this. It's all about all that God's done for us through Christ. He just keeps building upon that case. It's like he's saying, the Lord himself, to every one of us, to everyone that reads us, however we've sinned, whatever we're facing, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. And when we think about it like that, the only conclusion we could ever get to is where Paul just got. All glory goes to him. This is nothing I've done. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. He's drawing us in with all of his fullness. 
in spite of my lack. And we get invited into that reality. And when the goodness of the gospel lands on our hearts in that way, as Luther said, this whole new paradise opens up to us that we didn't deserve, but God invites us in and we didn't have to earn it. All we can say is amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's end there to pray. Lord, um, we, we thank you for the very good news of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, that he came and that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sinner's death in our stead, God, and he grants to us eternal life through his glorious resurrection, God. And if we believe him by faith, God, we've been given uh, all that we need for life and godliness. And God, I pray that we would be a people not just hanging on to um, something that once was, but discovering all that you are in the very good news of the living gospel. Because you are alive, God. You are working and you are moving and we wanna be a people that uh, just want more of that and more of you. And so God, would you continue to move in our midst? Forgive us of our many, 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 many failings. We can... <laughs> We can admit that we are sinners, that we have failed, that we get it wrong all the time, but thank you that you are a perfect and good and true God and we can lean on you and we can find our wisdom and our virtue and our righteousness in you and in you alone. May we stand on that truth and reality today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand and worship him.